NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello everyone, welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight is Yuri. Yuri, how are you mate? Yeah, great Callum, great to have a chat with you again and yeah, what a two compelling prelim finals and here we are, the big dance, right? Absolutely. And Ash, how are you, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Say that counting lost. What can you do? We'll, uh, we'll get into it a bit uh, deeper later on. As I said to you, mate, at least your team uh, made it into the prelim, unlike my boys who decided to go out in straight sets. But uh, two incredible games on the weekend, just fascinating contests and very different types of games as well. And both were able to provide uh, significant entertainment. And obviously we had the Brownlow medal on Monday night, which had a bit of controversy, but Lockie Neal becomes the 16th player in VFL-AFL history uh, to win the award twice. So uh, it's a great recognition for for Lockie Neal, who's been such a great player, even while he was at Fremantle. But obviously since he's gone to Brisbane, he's just risen to a new level. Uh, we'll talk about the Brownlow a little bit later on in tonight's show. Uh, Collingwood and the Brisbane Lions are off to uh, the big dance, as we call it. Uh, the final game in September, the, the, the last Saturday in September, the place where everyone wants to be. Um, I think it's a fair reflection of the, the two best teams all year. Um, Brisbane were obviously able to win some games pretty late in the year and that round 23 uh, win over Collingwood at Marvel Stadium ended up being quite crucial so they could secure that second spot. Um, and obviously they used the, the Gabba Fortress really well that they've got up there. No team, no visiting team has won at uh, the Gabba uh, this year. So that's obviously a very um, important home ground advantage they were able to have. Let's start off with Friday night, which was probably one of the – probably in the top three games of the year. Um, I always thought that this was either going to be a blowout or it was going to be a blowout from Collingwood or, you know, the Giants were just going to, you know, hang in there, hang in there. Um, and Collingwood, they got away with it again. They win the close one again. They won by a point. I thought it was a fantastic game of football. Um, you know, players on both sides just giving absolute effort. It was a good contested game. It was two high-quality midfields going at it. You know, you look at the Giants midfield, that's got Cogs, Josh Kelly, Tom Green, who is going to be an absolute superstar. I think he's a good Brownlow medal tip for, for next year if he stays healthy. Uh, and you've got players like Toby Green and Jesse Hogan in their forward line, which really were able to... To keep them in it, their small ele- electrifying forwards were really good as well. And the return of Nick Dacos, I think, was just so important for, for Collingwood. And Jordan Dugowie, I think, played one of the absolute games of his life. And it would be amazing to see what sort of recognition and accolades a player like Jordy Dugowie could get if he could play a full season without getting injured or getting suspended in some uh, obscure way. Um, but Yuri. We'll throw it to you first, mate. How did you see Friday and were there any major um, talking points from the game? Oh, it was an absolute epic contest, Callum, right from start to finish. And I think very early on, looked as though Collingwood got the ascendancy, kicked the first couple of goals. Daniel McStay was such an integral part 
to Collingwood getting off to a quick start and ultimately his night ended what in the first half, just about when he hurt his MCO in a very innocuous incident with one of the Giants players landing over the top of his leg essentially and it was just a real devastating blow for McStay whose last eight weeks since he came back into the team had been so instrumental, 16 goals during that period and really gave him that other important leading forward target which Collingwood of course signed him up for that five-year $3 million, $3 million deal should I say last offseason and his partnership with Brody Marchek has been, yeah, it's been a very good tandem that the two have been out of form together so that's the real conundrum but I think that question has already been answered earlier on today with Billy Frampton most likely to come back into the team and most likely to play out forward but the other part to it as well which so it was very topsy-turvy too in terms of the contest what the Giants were able to do in that second quarter and wrestle the game on their terms and through the orange tsunami as everyone knows, which is now so renowned and back once more. They were able to really split the pies apart and Collingwood going forward just really lacked this connectivity in a way to supply to Brody Majacek and either Darcy Cameron or Mason Cox when they were playing up forward. And they did, they did such a tremendous job in that aspect, the Giants. And there's something that was really clear early on with Collingwood and what they – probably one of their biggest plans they wanted to implement was – really trying to stifle Lockie Whitfield and throw him off his game. We saw, what, the first 10 seconds, which Bobby Hill laid that big front-on bump on Whitfield after he got rid of the ball, and that was sort of more a statement point. I think the Pars wanted to make to quell his influence and his run and carry off half-back, and Lockie Ash was tremendous. Connor Iden, he was heroic in that final quarter. Some of his efforts he did, right, in those 50-50 contests to – Harvard, and then perhaps even win it in his side's favour. He basically just capped off a tremendous season, and that quarter alone just, I think, spiked volumes for the sheer effort, even though he was under that much duress, like his teammates and like the other, like, um, shall I say, the Collingwood players, they were completely spent. He just gave himself that just that little bit of extra will to get himself to those contests alone. And the other player that had such a big impact too for the Giants was Xavier O'Halloran when he came on as the sub and that unbelievable tackle he had on Will Hoskin Elliott where he grabbed him by the jumper and basically ripped it off and then he got holding the ball call too in his favour. So he was also another real live wire piece to the Giants and they they should not be disgraced whatsoever considering the low map expectations heading into the season too, coming off a six-win campaign in 2022. But this was pretty much the same list that made the semi-final two years before that, right? But there were just a few players, and we've spoken about Stephen Cornelio, who for those couple of years alone, when he had to really shoulder the captaincy, and I, yeah, looking out, ultimately it wasn't the probably the right move for him trying to have to shoulder more of that load and then having to play such a key role week in, week out. But once he's sort of been relieved of the captaincy and he's basically back to the form from 2019, 2018, 2017 season. So there's nothing but ups for the Giants. And I think that, again, when the last quarter and everything really counted most and there was that, what, the manic seven to eight minute period there where no team didn't score whatsoever. Collingwood tried to get Jordan Ngoi off from the interchange bench, but they couldn't because the play was on the other end of the field, right? So he pretty much was sitting there just hoping that the ball would be back near the boundary line so he could come on as one of the very final few rotations in the game. But it was just an incredible 
bouts right throughout Callum and one that we talk about the 2011 prelim final between Collingwood and Hawthorne being an absolute belt and one that goes down in footy folklore. Well, this one goes right up there. And I think the big part now too with the Giants and every one of the other 17 teams will know heading into season 2024 is that they're forced to be reckoned with once more. Uh, absolutely, mate. And I think, you know, the, the, the Giants will be looking for those role players to add to their list in this trade period. and. They're not going to be your big names, but, you know, we could find the Giants getting the next Toby Bedford again and the impact that those small forwards in Daniels and, and Bedford have had on this Giants list has been uh, particularly incredible to watch. Uh, Ash, do you have any additional thoughts to what Yuri's already said about Collingwood and the Giants on Friday night? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not too much more we can probably add. Um, I, I thought that Collingwood, and I probably didn't realise as much um, watching the game, but sort of looking back at a few of the numbers, Collingwood won clearances 44 to 26, so only almost 20, uh, 20 clearances more, so doubling the Giants, which I thought was crazy. Uh, although, sort of despite them winning it as a middle, it probably didn't feel like forward or center, they were sort of capitalizing on that as much. And I think that probably came down to a few sort of uh, sloppy turnovers. And and because uh, it was such a high-pressure game, a lot of sort of fumbles and and those sorts of things. I thought the Bo McCreary played a really sort of underrated game. Uh, I thought some of the pressure and efforts which he was making was uh, pretty unreal. And Josh Kelly from the Giants uh, playing with sort of a defensive winger, he was very selfless, I thought. Um, and, and some of the way, you know, that he moved the ball um, and the influence that he had both in offense and defense, I thought was really, really great. And obviously, as you mentioned, Callum, Jordan Degoe uh, has proved once again that he can potentially be there, you know, within the top few mids and mid forwards in the game. I thought that he was absolutely unreal. So, yeah, it was, it was a great game, really close. It probably towards that fourth quarter wasn't as high scoring as it probably could have been or some of us were expecting. But, uh, yeah, one point win, Collingwood get it done again. Who would have thought? I mean, a lot of people probably would have thought. But, uh, yeah, can't believe it. Collingwood again in a granny just going to – Hope that Brisbane knock him off this week. I think uh, if you're not going for for Collingwood, most people will be going for for Brisbane. So, um, yeah, especially if you're a uh, non-Collingwood supporter in Victoria, I think you'll be going for the Brisbane Lions this week. Let's move on to the second preliminary final, which was Carlton and Brisbane Lions up at the Gabba. the Lions ended up getting the chocolates by 16 points and the boys got off to an electric start. They kicked, you know, the first five goals of the game pretty well. Um, You know, they had lots of pressure around the ball. Their mids were able to get their hands on the ball and they were just able to play with that sort of surge mentality. Um, You know, lots of pressure, lots of stoppages. All right, that's where you see Cripps, Chera, Walsh, you know, all those kind of players do their best work. And I know Carlton didn't get the chocolates on the weekend, but once again, I thought Sam Walsh was sensational. You know, uh, this kid is built for finals football. Uh, His electric speed, as we've talked about on the podcast previously, his ability to win the ball on the inside, as well as being that linking player on the outside, um, you know, a lot of people still debate whether he deserved to be the number one pick back in 2018 now, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind Carlton have made the right decision and 
if they had their time again, I still think they would do exactly the same thing. Um, Brisbane, you know, they were able to get their hands on on the ball after quarter time. They were able to take a three-point lead into halftime. And then just in the second half, you, you didn't feel that they really gave Carlton a sniff um, in the end. You know, there was some sort of hope late. Um, but, yeah, it was just really hard for, for Carlton to, to score. And a player that uh, may play on Saturday or may not play on Saturday is Darcy Gardner. And I thought he did a sensational job on uh, Charlie Kernow and uh, Charlie, unfortunately, hasn't had the best of final series. He's only kicked three goals and averaged probably around that 11 to 12 disposal mark over the, the course of the three games. But I think it's just more about the influence that his opponent, his direct opponent has on, had on the game. Tom McCartan did a really good job in the first week. I thought Stephen May was one of the better players on the ground in last week's contest. So, um yeah, a lot to like about how the Blues started the game, but there was a lot to like from Brisbane in that second half, and they controlled the ground really well. When they needed to slow down and use tempo footy, they did that. But Ash, as a our beloved Carlton supporter on the panel, uh, how did you see it all, and um, what what could Carlton do to potentially rectify that situation should they make a prelim in years to come? Um, I, I think it was, it was pretty clear that we went with the intent sort of to um, sort of start the game really hot, startle Brisbane, elite pressure, relentless attack in the footy, and it worked, you know, winning, uh, kicking the first five or six goals, I can't exactly remember. But sort of the problem there comes with sustaining it for four quarters, which obviously is easier said than done. So whether that comes down to probably – Fitness, a few sore bodies, whether it's complacency, I think that's not exactly for me to know. But I think, nonetheless, to put up the effort that we sort of did, be within two and a half goals of a team that has never lost at that ground this year, to go from 15th to a prelim, was sort of the result that I was expecting. We probably did better than I was expecting in that game uh, on Saturday. So, look, I'm, I'm proud of the boys. Move on to uh, next year. Going to be an exciting sort of period for us. And, yeah, I, I don't think there's much you can do. I think if Collingwood probably in a similar position, I don't know if they would have even won. So I think it's unlucky if you play Brisbane at the Garrett this time of the year because it's very, very hard to get the job done. Good job to them. They uh, put in a mighty effort fighting back. Uh, they clearly had another step to go, uh, which Carlton couldn't match them with. And, uh, yeah, that, that's just the way footy works. It's disappointing and you move on. Yeah, I think I think you're right, mate. And I think... The best thing about this final series is that the best two teams from the home and away season were able to get to the last the last game. I think it's good for footy. Uh, I think it's well-deserved by Collingwood and Brisbane. Um, and as you said, Brisbane just used their home ground advantage so well. I think they use it pretty well better than every other every other team in, in the comp. But, Yuri, any additional thoughts to add to what Ash has talked about with the Blues and the Lions? Yeah, I think the biggest part, Callum, is once Brisbane were able to minimise the stoppage count of Carlton and able to get more uncontested possession and then use their lethal kicking to absolute precision. And one particular player that comes to mind is Kadeen Coleman, right? His ability to change the angles and really 
bisect those gaps in the middle. There was, I think there was one kick during that first half, which he just, I think it was on the center half back, and he just switched the ball back into the corridor. And I think it led to a Brisbane Lions goal. And it's just those plays alone, which I think really that's where Brisbane are at their absolute best and most lethal when they can get him off half back. And even Con McKenna, he had a sensational outing as well. And those two just provided so much run and carry. And that's where it sort of came to a fore, right? And I think there was at various times we've signed the Blues midfielders. Chera had a good start to the game. I think he had six touches in the opening quarter, but sort of faded in and out. And there was that set shot he had as well. He got a free kick late in the third quarter and ultimately butchered his kick. I think it was about 15 to 20 metres out and completely sprayed it to the right. And if he, had, if he kicked that goal, I think the margin will be back to about 15 points. So it's those what-if moments there alone. but. He, he was still solid. They finished with 20 disposals. George Hewitt was also solid too. He had 20 disposals. And Cripps was, yeah, it's been well documented too with his big element with the ribs, with the rib injury and playing through pain and seeing that massive rib protector on inside. And it was almost like the size of those cricket thigh guards. It just, it was so obvious though that sadly he was just playing through a sheer amount of pain, but just willing himself at every single contest he possibly could, even though Josh Dunkley for not the first time this season blanketed his impact. And Sam Doherty also had a good game too. Mitch McGovern was another one who was tremendous and ultimately suffered that nasty corky to the leg. I think he landed mid-air and landed pretty heavily on the way down and you could tell that he was also in a pretty severe amount of pain too. But it's a season though for Carlton and we probably talked about in the lead up to last week's podcast, of course, whatever happens, the result. It's a big win, right, to get that far from what happened on June 11 after the Essendon game and some of the fans just hurling abuse down the, down the tunnels. The players went back into the change rooms. But that's the whole motivation, right, of turning around a three-month block there and using it to your own advantage. And now they've got this game plan, which Vossi said they just so slightly tinkered around a little bit just to make it more simpler for the players. And it's paid off, right, and the big sort of spurring motivator going into next season is maintaining the rage, right? Because usually when you're that close to a prelim final and you're just trying to figure out some answers exactly to what we can get better at to go one step further, well, that probably answers a lot of their questions there because having to play through, what, two taxing finals matches against Sydney and Melbourne takes a lot of out of you. And when you're carrying sore bodies as well, Sam Doherty, who courageously was you could arguably say he was playing through that dislocated left shoulder that he injured during the first half against Melbourne and he still was so solid right throughout and Blake Aker's playing with what a crack chip in his collarbone right and Cripps that we just mentioned of course playing throughout rib injury but there's nothing but big ups for the Blues going into 2024 and for Brisbane it's almost a reaping reward for what they've gone through the last four seasons to be oh so close on about a couple of occasions and to really sort of make it come into reality come this Saturday. Absolutely. And uh, we'll preview the game properly between Collingwood and Brisbane uh, towards the end of the show. But let's talk about the Brownlow medal. Uh, Very contentious with Lockie Neal, as we said at the top of the show, uh, taking home Charles for the second time. His first was in 2020 and second, obviously, uh, a few nights ago. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the umpires getting the Brownlow medal count 
wrong. The counter argument that I have for that at the same time is the top six players in the coaches' votes were the top six players in the Brownlow. Um, I don't think that Lockie Neal had the best year that he's ever had. I would say that his 2019, 2020, probably 2020 was his best year, and that's the year that he won his first Brownlow. Um, obviously, if Nick Dacos had applied those last couple of games, probably picks up a vote here and a vote there uh, and inevitably gets gets over the line. But um, I think we need to do something with the Brownlow medal personally because it's just the midfielders award. It's just, okay, which midfielder is going to take it home this year? Like we look back at 1993 and Gavin, Gavin Wanganine won it as a back pocket. Um, the year that Buddy kicked the 100, um, I don't think he was really anywhere near the, the top count and Adam Cooney won that with 23 votes. Um, that's the year that Rich O'Neill uh, nearly pulled off the brown low as well. Um, but as far as I can sort of think back, it's been a midfielder. You think of Ablett, you think of Judd, you think of Dane Swan, uh, Matt Prittis, 2014, Fife, Dusty, Danger, Tom Mitchell, Fife again, Neil, Ollie Wines, Cripps. It's just a midfielders award and, um, yeah, I just think it needs to – the system needs to change whether you give votes for players in certain positions or whether you make it, I don't know, a 5-4-3-2-1 so that there's more of an opportunity to highlight those role players. Like, you know, if a – let's say someone kept Charlie Kerno to zero goals – you know, does that player even come into consideration in the umpire's minds for a vote? Whereas in the coaches' award, they probably do get some votes. And I think this year the the really odd thing is the discrepancies between the coaches' votes and the actual umpire's votes itself. We look at the the Jason Horn Francis one where he has thirteen touches, butchers the ball four times, and I love Jason, but. Uh, I genuinely think Miles Bergman was the player who was meant to take home three votes there because he kept Jeremy Cameron pretty quiet that evening. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's those discrepancies have really impacted some players' ability to win the award. Um, I personally thought Zach Butters were going into it, and some people could accuse me of being Port Adelaide biased, but there were some games that I was genuinely expecting Zach to poll in and just. Nothing like there were games I genuinely thought he was going to get threes and he didn't even get anywhere near it. So, uh, that's my thoughts on the Brownlow medal. But congratulations to Lockie Neal, he is a legend of our game, he will be going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, and he's done amazing things for Brisbane since that uh, infamous trade at the end of 2018. Ash, how did you sum up the Brownlow medal on Monday night? Uh it's it's really confusing because there are so many players from, from each team across the league where you sort of thought one player would pull higher than another player. And overall, sort of you thought that a particular 
you know, Brandland medalists from Polar's highest, some other potential Brandland medalists. It's it's a really confusing system, and I think you're never going to be able to get it consistently. And I know we talked pre-show about letting the umpires use stats and, and those sorts of things when, when making their decisions. I think in general that I never quite understand why the Brownlow is talked up the way it is because I think that the Coaches Association uh, Award and even the Players Association Award it, it's probably worth a lot more because I reckon they have been indication of how the game you know was played out, different skill sets and those sorts of things compared to umpires. I think umpires are sort of, you know, my theory for the Lockie Neal uh, three votes for that contentious game um, against GWS is potentially because, you know, the umpires are there on the field. Lockie Neal is around the ball all the time but isn't necessarily picking it up and, and those sorts of things. So from pure vantage point, I reckon the umpires sometimes might see things that aren't actually happening just because of how close they are to the ball or how they're positioned compared to, you know, others. So I think players not only players and coaches not only probably see the game a bit better, understand it better from a from a, a viewing point, but also from a skill level point of view. So I, I think I would love to see the coaches uh association award be a bit more prestigious instead of being on AFL Awards night with sort of everything else and your rising stars and you're all Australian, you know, maybe turn that to be its own sort of night, potentially call that the Brownlow and and have the uh, – remove the coaches, you know, association name to it or have it the uh, coaches association Brownlow and get the umpires to vote on their separate award but just don't have it part of that Brownlow night or have it part of the Brownlow night but don't make it that main event. Because I think to have umpires vote – on the most prestigious uh, award in the game just doesn't quite work well for me when they're not usually the ones who have the best, you know, footy brain when it comes to those sorts of things. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one because it's been a tradition for over a hundred years of the sport. Um, and you you're in a no-win situation with it, I feel. You're damned if you're doing, you're damned if you don't do anything about it. Um, like, for example, Errol Goulden getting 42 touches, uh, kicking two goals, having, I think, 27-something kicks and only getting one vote. And I think we I think we agreed, we talked off air before, that Christian Petrarca was the most influential person on the ground. But if you looked at stats alone, you'd probably think that Errol Gordon was the most effective player on the ground from a statistical point of view. So, yeah, it's just, I just think there needs to be a change in the system. And I'm not trying to bag umpires. Um, you know, I'd rather them focus on getting decisions right on the weekend rather than who's the best player because I feel like the umpiring this year has just been so inconsistent. But that's a topic for a separate video, I think. But I think the umpires have got enough on their plate, so I feel like they don't need the stress of this personally. Yuri, any additional thoughts, mate? I was just about to say what you said then, Callum, about alleviating the pressure of umpires. They've already got enough responsibility as it is trying to officiate the game. And think leaving the voting up to particular sections of the media, like the ones who are well across the game, I think would make a lot more sense. We think, of course, say, for example, with the AFL Grand Final and the Norm Smith medal voting count, they usually have about, was it, three, four, five 
accredited football journalists, broadcasters who will cast their vote in. I think exactly what they need to do each round right is a sign. So for a particular game, get a journalist, AFL journalist, an AFL broadcaster together and be there and collaborate on who should get the three, two, and one instead of leaving it in the hands of the umpires to make that decision. Because the game for 120 minutes, especially for umpires, goes around extremely quickly. And they're, of course, going to tend to forget which particular players and passages had major impact and which players really gave it all 100% and they were such a big component to the team's success. The AFL journalists, right, who are there within the thick of the action, scribbling furiously down notes, same with the broadcasters, right, they'll be able to jot down from pen from pen down to paper on which players had the most impact and then you just go from there. Instead of leaving it to the umpires, the only thing they have to focus on is making sure they get the decisions right and whatever happens for reportable offences. The only thing I'll come back to challenge you on with that, Yuri, and I respect your idea, but how does getting the media to do the votes make it any different to a Lou Richards medal on the Sunday footy show or the Triple M awards or something like that? And I just, I don't know whether getting the media to do it is the right solution considering there's all these other media awards out there. And as again, as I say again, I'd, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't um, in regards to making changes. Do you have any additional thoughts? Oh, absolutely. So leave it to you can take this as a sort of counter argument. Leave it to the ones who who are legends of the game but know it inside out and the players inside out and give them the responsibility of casting a vote. So say like a Matthew Lloyd, right, who watches pretty much every single game he knows it back to front. Even Lee Matthews right back to front. There's just those legends of the game that you can basically put your trust in because what comes out of their mouth right is all based on evidence. It's all factual. There's no sort of slander in the way for, for particular players and they'll keep it very even kill. Whereas it's as we saw, right, Callum, and we've already documented on this with that bizarre Jason Horn Francis getting three votes against Geelong in round 14. It's very, oh, it's against a gray area where umpires have got, again, too much on their plate to have to make decisions every single time. And then having to scan around the field for 40, what, 46 players that run onto the field, maybe exclude the two substitutions depending on when they get into the game and what impact they have. But just, those 44 players, that's hard enough in itself trying to pick out, oh, which Port player, say Port Adelaide's Connor Rosie, number 20, did he have a good game? And maybe one umpire will say, mm, yeah, maybe so-so, 50-50. Another one will say, yeah, he had a splendid game. He was such a major impact with his run through the middle and his clearance work. He kicked two or three goals, right? So you're going to get differing opinions on that, right, though? Yeah, and Ash, do you have any additional thoughts on how you could – improve the Brownlow medal. Uh, Yuri's obviously got the idea of getting it to be a uh, top quality media um, award, but do you have any alternatives? Yeah, I I don't – I'm I'm not a massive fan of the media thing. I think 
Um, it, it just doesn't sound right to me. I, I think there's something about it. I don't know whether it sort of comes with personal biases, although I guess umpires have them too. But there's sort of more – having so many different media personalities having uh, sort of contributing all at once to so many different games – it, it it just seems it just seems wrong to me. I, I think I think continuity is what works best here. And I get that umpires, you know, you have different umpires each game. But I think, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a fan. I, I can't pinpoint exactly what it is. I, I I don't think that it carries the same prestige, and I don't think that it sort of um, just has the same feeling to it. it. It's sort of hard to explain. Fair enough. And as we talked about, you know, there's we can throw a million different suggestions at it, but I don't think the system's gonna change any time soon. I would just I don't mind the umpires still doing it, but I think they need to either have access to the stats or the way that the they do the voting changes because I'm sick of it being a midfielder's award. I get it. The midfielders are the flashy ones, but defenders win your premierships and forwards get sponsorships. That's kind of the way the way the world works. Um, so let's move on to previewing the grand final. Uh, it's been confirmed officially today that Billy Franson will play instead of Dan McStay. And um, I actually don't think this is the right move by Collingwood and, to be fair to Billy Frampton, he has um, played well when he has appeared for Collingwood this year. I think Collingwood's genuine weapon is their leg speed. And something that I would be doing is I would be bringing Jack Gidevan onto the field and he's done really like he's done really well as the sub the last couple of games that he's played. And uh, I think he's, worthy of a spot in the 22 and then I'd probably be looking at bringing John Noble um, into the team as the substitute and I thought it was really rough that he got ditched to begin with and just probably one of the heartbreak stories of uh, this year. Unfortunately, Taylor Adams has been ruled out for Collingwood as well so that's uh, not particularly great for for Pies fans. Uh, We know how much of an important contributor he is, but it just places a bigger emphasis on on Tom Mitchell uh, once again. And uh, you don't anticipate Brisbane would be making any changes unless they decided to bring back uh, Jack Payne in place of Darcy Gardner. But um, I don't know whether I'd be making that change uh, personally. I think... Gardner's flexibility is probably a little bit more useful, whereas, you know, Collingwood don't play partic- the two forwards. You know, they don't play particularly tall. Like, we know that Frampton's coming in, but uh, I think Darcy Moore, um, not Darcy Moore, I, I think, um, you know, Harris Andrews could very easily contain a, a Meyer check or a Frampton. Um, so it just depends on what, what way the Lions want to go in terms of their selection. Um, Yuri, what are your thoughts on the selection that we've heard about so far? I think they had to go for like-for-like anyway in that aspect, Callum, bringing in Billy Frampton. And 
You mentioned too when he has played, he has been very good and he was when Jeremy Howell was out for, what, the three-month period when he gruesomely broke his arm in the opening round against Geelong and performed considerably well. I think the big conundrum to it all is whether they make this shift of playing Frampton down back and perhaps doing what Craig McRae had done in the final month of the season at various times was playing Jeremy House of Ford, which he threw the magnet around in that final quarter in the round 20 clash against Carlton and he gave them a tremendous lift kicking those three final quarter goals. So it may be a trick up his sleeve that he well has to try and make Harris Andrews accountable and not allow him to go up as that third man and intercept and spoil the ball and allow for Kadee Coleman and Connor McKenna to basically use their speed off halfback. So that's probably just an area I think that Collingwood could well use and one that could be an X factor. And the other real sort of mesmerizing matchup, which is going to play some part towards whoever wins is with Isaac Quaino and Charlie Cameron and two absolute speed bullets there. One that can just run opponents off off their feet within the first two, two, three steps and, Ultimately, it's game over. Charlie Cameron, when his ability to dash from basically, what, 50, 55 metres out and just given that little bit of latitude can basically burn off his opponent within two seconds. And that's where Quaino's not going to allow him that amount of time and space whatsoever when the ball hits the ground because not only is a, he's a brilliant attacking defender, but his defensive ploys as well and what he's been able to do shut down most of his opponents this season i think champion data something did a ranking on like how many on like one-on-one contests or something like or might have been something like that on like how many times he's beaten his opponent during the season and i think he's won most of his contests anyway so that's going to be an extremely fascinating duel between those two and Thing the other part to it as well is, and the whole commentary murmurings right from probably a month ago with Tom Mitchell and whether he was still in Collingwood's best midfield mix, which is just completely blasphemous whatsoever. He is because that's where you need that different complementary mix that Collingwood do have there with Jordan Jordan DeGoe, Scott Penderbury, of course, Jack Crisp, who was incredibly sensational last Friday night against the Giants, is that Mitchell provides so much of that grunt work inside to allow for Jordan DeGoe to burst away from stoppages, even to allow Jack Crisp to do exactly the same thing. And he's also going to be so integral, right? And whoever he does play on, and don't think you'll be locking Neil this time because Neil completely just blew him off his feet when the sides met back in round 23. So potentially, most likely, a matchup on Josh Dunkley and try and really even that contest up for him. Yeah, and I think this is the exact reason that they brought Tom Mitchell to the club. You know, being that in and under, inside midfielder, and I think the fact that Adams is not playing this game just emphasises Tom Mitchell's importance in this team even more. And um, I'm not going to lie, I don't think Dunkley actually goes to anyone. I think he just, like, sure, he'll pay attention to someone at stoppage, um, but I think he'll more than likely, if he does try to go head-to-head with someone, I think it will more likely be Dugowie in particular. Um but at the same time, you know, Dugowie does have that genuine leg speed out of stoppage, so he's a harder player to contain. Uh, Ash, do you have any additional thoughts on, you know, some tactics that, um, you know, both Collingwood and Brisbane might like look to employ? Uh, Yuri's mentioned about, you know, 
Billy Frampton potentially playing a defensive forward role on Harris Andrews? No, not really. I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens with Nick, Nick Dacos. He's got a game under his belt. He's potentially ready to explode again. Uh, big game. We know who likes it. So is there someone who's going to potentially you know, play a bit of a role on him, keep him quiet? Uh, it's definitely worked in the past. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really think so. I think neither team sort of have, you know, massive goal kickers. So I, I don't think there's anyone who particularly sort of need to keep a close on, apart from probably Brisbane Smalls. I think that Cameron and, and Bailey, if uh, if they can get going, they can really get going. So, look, I reckon it'll be, unfortunately, a game sort of where Collingwood probably lead for the entire match. Brisbane can't really get – they're close to it, but can't get a hold of it. I reckon it'll be sort of pretty straightforward. and I reckon it's going to go exactly how we're all expecting. So, yeah. Just like looking at the electric pace of those Brisbane forwards, we talk about Cameron, Rayner, McCarthy, Zach Bailey. If you were Collingwood, would you consider bringing John Noble back in or would you back the players that have won you those two finals, Ash? Um, I reckon unless if you've got, you know, unless if you're looking for some clear way to improve from the week prior, which I don't, you know, Craig McCray was in the media so saying they didn't play it, they wanted to play. You, you could make a few changes, but I also look at what Carlton did against Brisbane and sort of they, they saw that they weren't playing exactly the way that they wanted to play. It's not necessarily that I'm against changing a winning formula, but you've also got to take that risk. So you can sort of make some changes if you want to sort of set some things straight and change things up structurally, but also I'd be doing what sort of worked for them. You know, grand final, I think, is, is all mental. I don't, I don't think, you know, 90% of the time it's all above the shoulders. You've made it to a grand final, so you know that structurally and what you've done works, you know, all across the ground, all three lines. You know that it works and it's got you to this point so far. So I think everything now is keeping everything the same, make sure that everything is sort of normal, as normal as you can make it, and try and win it sort of mentally and uh, get get it over Brisbane that way. Yuri, you've, I can see you've got some additional thoughts. Yeah, it's just Ash nailed it on the head, Callum, with what Carlton implemented last Saturday with their backline structure. And ultimately, they went small and dropping Brody Kemp and playing Caleb Marchbank as that second toll defender. So that could potentially be a possible sort of chain in the works for Collingwood, perhaps. But yet again, it's a very sort of confusing thing I think for Collingwood is that it's not only just Danaher and Hipwood and also Rayner playing as that third tall but at ground level too and Oleg Markov's going to have a real sort of influential impact I think as well and he's really solidified himself in Collingwood's best 22 and whoever the ta- the job he does get on too could either be Zach Bailey could even at various times be Charlie Cameron because Markov's got the speed to go with him and whether they sort of alternate a little bit with Quaino or Markov onto Cameron at various points during the game. It's something to really look out for within the contest. So it's going to be, yeah, it's just really tough to see what they do. But maybe if the game does go on or maybe perhaps if Brisbane do sort of unfortunately sustain an injury to one of their forwards and maybe it does sort of frame up the Magpies to play a little bit of a smaller backline. But... Really, who knows in that regard? 
All right, gentlemen, let's get to our tips for the weekend. And then after that, we'll get into some quick trade talk. But uh, Yuri, can you please tell us your winner and your Norm Smith medalist? Okay, so I've thought about this for the last couple of days, Callum, and I've got Brisbane winning this by goal. It's basically going to be shade to the 2002 grand final. That's my feeling on it. And the Norm Smith medal will be Josh Dunkley, just the season he's had and He's already been there before. He won a brown. He won a grand final. So then, nineteen year old back in two thousand sixteen with with the Western Bulldogs, and he also stood up on that day too. And he was the youngest player on the Western Bulldogs list. And you can see now what seven years on, and he's going to do it once more. Very good, Ash. Thoughts? Um, I reckon oh, this is so tough. I reckon it's going to be. I reckon Collingwood win. You, you're going to go the safe option probably here. I reckon Collingwood win. Um, if Collingwood win, I reckon Nick Dacos gets Norm Smith. I think if Brisbane win, then Lucky Neal gets the Norm Smith and proves the haters wrong from his uh, Brownlow sort of fiasco, if you want to call it that. All right. I'll go Collingwood to win. Um I think I'm going to try and go something a little bit different with my Norm Smith. I think Brody Majacek could get the Norm Smith. Something a bit different. Uh, it's paying $67 on Sportsbet, so I might chuck five bucks on it just for just for a cheeky cheeky punt. So yeah, I think Collingwood will win. I think it will probably be somewhere between that three to four goal mark, uh, it will be enough to, to keep you interested. I frankly don't really care who wins. Uh, I just want it to be a really good contest because we've seen in years gone by that the grand finals have just kind of been the letdown. The last genuinely good one that I can remember was Collingwood and West Coast uh, nearly five years ago now. Um, and the... 2013 Hawthorne and Fremantle um, grand finals where it was a pretty good game. So, yeah, that's probably where I'm leaning. Uh, before we finish up tonight, we will do some trade talks. So, D'Ambrosio from the Bombers has requested a trade to uh, the Hawks on a multi-year deal. Essendon did offer him a deal to stay. Uh, in other news, uh, Ben Mackay has chosen Essendon. Um, North Melbourne uh, will match that bid unless uh, it's a top-tier uh, compensation, which would give uh, North Melbourne pick three in the, the national draft, which they could potentially use to work their way up to, to Harley Reid. Um, but at the same time, if the Eagles do take Harley Reid, the uh, Kangaroos are very keen on WA's Dan Curtin, which um, the, it's been heavily rumoured that the, the Eagles would potentially trade out that number one pick to ensure that they could get Dan Curtin at some point. Uh, a lot of fringe players, you know, looking for, for new opportunities. Marvio Charles got uh, the pursuit of four clubs. Uh, but I think a lot of that is definitely tied to them chasing or clubs chasing Gold Coast pick four. Uh, we know that the Gold Coast are expected to have three academy players inside sort of the top 15. Uh, Jed Walters expected to be like a number two or a number three pick. Um, so uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, 
um, North Melbourne and Hawthorne are very heavily in the race for Marbiol Chol, and they are all relatively keen on pick four. And the Western Bulldogs are pretty keen on pick four as well, considering they've got picks 10 and 17 at the moment. Uh, could be 18, depending on Brisbane's finish to the week. Yuri, am I missing out any other major trade news? There's one that has probably popped about in the last 24 to 48 hours, Callum, and that's with Todd Goldstein looking to move on to a new club after an excellent, what, 16, 17 seasons with the Kangaroos, right? He was a former second-round pick all the way back in 2016. He was picked 35 overall and, yeah, 17 seasons at Island Street and the amount of longevity he gave to the club as well and essentially became one of the league's premier ruckman. I think about 2012, 2013 is when he really began hitting his stride and I think he had a down year, was it 2019 or something around that time and sort of came into a question about whether he's still the top ruckman in the game, but he's bounced back pretty well in the last couple of seasons and, Whoever does pursue for his services too is going to be extremely lucky too to have not only just his tap work too, but he also has great endurance to roam around the ground and take contested marks too. So that's something to really look forward to and could potentially, well, Geelong have always been sort of rooming around, right? They need a number one ruckman. They've never really had that sort of big ruckman anyway who can go forward and rotate and take a mark. And he did play for, I think, by memory, the Geelong Falcons in the TAC Cup before he was picked up all those years ago. So don't know if Geelong will go down that path anyway, considering next year he turns 36. So really depends on which club needs that Ruckman to fill the void. Yeah, I think um, going to Collingwood does make a lot of sense. Um I know that uh, Mason Cox has just signed a new deal for, for two years and Darcy Cameron has been a very serviceable uh, ruckman, but I feel like if they don't get the premiership on the weekend, uh, that search for a top-tier quality ruckman will intensify. And, and I think it's a, an arrangement where Goldie won't play every game, but he's going to play a fair majority of the games and obviously have a focus on the back end of the year and try and, win some finals and finish his career on a high with a flag. Because for him going to Essendon, which has been heavily rumoured, doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me logistically. Essendon, sure, they could make the eight next year. A lot of teams could make the eight next year. But um, I think if you're going to leave a club that you've been at for 17 years, you want to make sure that you go and have some proper success. But uh, Ash, any other news that you've been hearing about in regards to trade circuits? No, I think you've covered it pretty well. Very good. Well, Yuri, Ash, thanks for joining me tonight, fellas. Obviously, great to to chat with you. Very busy week in football, but uh, we'll be back with our uh, one of our final shows for the year. I was nearly going to say our final show of the year, but we are going to cover uh, the trade period here on the podcast. Um, I won't be joining you next week. Uh, I'm off on holidays, but hopefully Nathan, uh, Ash and Yuri We'll be able to join you. Hopefully, Julian will be able to jump on as well. So thanks very much for listening in tonight. Make sure that you follow uh, Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram for more updates. We'll see you on our next episode. Cheers. 